yeah, the story about God is he looked for me and I wasn't necessarily looking for him. Uh, I was your typical 16-year-old playing basketball. Basketball was a big thing growing up in our family. Uh, a brother was the number two point guard behind Anthony Hardaway in the city of Memphis and I wanted to follow in his footsteps. And I remember my, my first basketball year in high school just uh, just not meeting reality. Having an okay season but not a great season. And I remember driving home one day from basketball practice, listening to the radio, and this song came on the radio. It's this tagline that said, why do all the shimmers in this world fade away? And it just got me curious, curious about, yeah, what lasts, what doesn't last. And it's a simple song lyric, but it just was a depth charge going off within me. And I began to ask those questions. And um, a few months later, I found a Bible on my friend's bookshelf. It's one of those blue bound teen study Bibles brand new. I said, can I borrow it? He's like, absolutely. I knew it was one of those ceremonial Bibles he got because I picked it up and opened it and heard the, the spine creak and crack when I opened it for the first time. And I flipped to the index and it said, start with the book of John and then read the book of Acts. And so that's what I began to do. Just began to read the book of John for the first time. Just as a 16 year old, really resonating with what was going on about the life of Jesus, who he was, turning water into wine. And every night from 9 to 930, I'd read, read, the Bible. Wasn't telling anybody. Religion wasn't a big part of my home. We didn't go to church. I was just captivated. And I said, this has got to be different than your American short stories you read early on. Just began to self-examine too. Do I believe who scripture says this person is? And read and continued, got to the crucifixion and resurrection and ended up going, yeah, I believe what scripture says about Christ, that he is the son of God and um, I'm broken and busted and, and ended up just coming to faith reading that um, at the conclusion of it. And surprisingly, I didn't know what to do. I became a Christian through the word, but didn't know where to go. So I just kept on reading scripture. I went to the book of Acts and over the course of months, finally, one of my friends said, hey, you should come to church with me. I'm like, that's a great idea. And this is a church right across the street from my high school. And I remember walking in expecting something old and wrote and what I found out was really refreshing to me that what I read about people sung about it and they prayed and they actually believed in God like adults believed that Jesus was raised from the dead and I didn't have a category for that I thought man how did I miss this in a city that's got more churches and gas stations how did I miss this story and I began to tell my story and found that it wasn't a most common story um, in the faith or in life for somebody to read scripture and come to faith without hearing a teacher or a mediator or a professional, but it's true. And late, years later, I, I remember reading Isaiah about God's word, not returning to him void and to go, that's it. That's my experience. It's true that God's word is fruitful and powerful. And I go back to my experience. And even when I think about that day with my story, hearing the song on the radio, that's not circumstance, that's not happenstance. Um, that's the faithfulness of God, that he was drawing me to himself. And the beautiful thing is, is that he still does that today. He's still faithful to his word to draw people to him. The words that we find in this book are living, active, redemptive, powerful, and true. These are God's words. And in his words, we find God himself, which was 
so evident in Brandon Addison's story, the one that we just saw, where a young man literally pulled a Bible off the shelf and was forever changed. We're in the middle of a series that we've entitled The Word of God Written, Living, and Active. We began it in early January, and one of the reasons that we decided to do this particular series at this particular time is because we live in an age and in a culture that doesn't think very highly of this book. We we live in a day, it's often said about this day, that this generation is far less biblically literate than the generations that have gone before, and the statistics that we have on that actually would support that claim. In fact, according to Barna Research Group and the American Bible Society, the number of biblical skeptics or the number of Bible skeptics, that is those who believe that this is just another book written by men filled with stories and advice, that group of Bible skeptics has almost doubled in just the last three years in our nation alone. 2014, that group, for the very first time, that number of people in the United States was equal to, it had always been less than, was equal to the number of people who are biblically engaged or engaged with the Word of God, that is, reading it regularly and believe it to be the inspired Word of God. First time in history that that's been true. It's not good. But maybe it's something that we would expect to be true of those outside the church, Inside the church, I would suggest that the problem is only slightly different. What what is true inside the church, within the confines of the broader church today, is, is simply, and you've heard us say this, that our view of the Bible is less than the view the Bible has of itself. So maybe we're not Bible skeptics, but we do have questions. We sometimes struggle with the claims that the Bible makes about itself. You know, this book, it, it makes some audacious claims, does it not? Claims that if we are to take seriously, beg the question, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that this is the one source for all truth? Do I really believe that this book is completely trustworthy? And Do do I believe that it's enough, that that it's everything that I need for life and for faith? You see, our concern is not so much that the knowledge about what's in the Bible has declined. That, that is a problem, but that's not the ultimate concern. Like people just don't know the Bible stories that are in here anymore. No, the ultimate concern is that, the, is that questions or the questions that linger about this as a source of truth, that's our ultimate concern. About the sufficiency, the authority and the trustworthiness and the reliability of the word of God. Of course, you know this if you've been around more than a week at Fellowship. We have a very high view of Scripture, very high view of this book as God's Word to us. And we believe that any view of the Bible that is less than the Bible's view of itself is inadequate. And so we began this series by just looking at the claims the Bible makes about itself. That's how we started. You might remember we started in Amos. Amos said there's a famine in the land. It's not a famine in the way that we think. Normally, it's a spiritual famine in the land of Israel. It's not unlike the spiritual famine that we have in the skeptical world that we live in today, very similar. And Amos made a statement to the Israelites that applies to us as well. He said to them that material prosperity can only mask spiritual poverty for a time. We are a very 
impoverished people spiritually. And what we have materially can only cover that for a time. That spiritual poverty will catch up to us. We live that way in our culture today. And he said so aptly then, it applies to us now, that we are thirsty for more. We have a deep longing for more, spiritually speaking. You might remember Lloyd stood up here with a pitcher of water, cool, clear, pure water, likened it to the scripture that this is the only thing that can satisfy our deepest thirst. For in this book, we find words of life. And then the second way, we turn from a famine to a feast, a feast on God's word. The psalmist in Psalm 119, who showed us that a heart set on the word of God is a heart that is flooded with and overflows with words of life. It's a heart that understands joy and hope and peace and passion, purpose. Not only does it satisfy our deepest thirst, but it is also the source of our greatest delight. And we said in that week that this is kind of like we're going to begin with the end in mind. And our hope is that what is true about the psalmist would be true about our lives and our affections when we conclude this study as well. And then we looked at what Jesus had to say about this word, about the message of Scripture and the authority of Scripture. What does the living word have to say about the written word? And of course, we found that in the New Testament that it is impossible to revere the Scriptures more deeply or affirm them more completely than Jesus Christ did, as Kevin DeYoung so aptly says. Possible to revere them more deeply or affirm them more completely than Jesus Christ did. And Jesus sees, and we saw all throughout the New Testament, that he sees these words as authoritative and as clear and as sufficient and as inerrant and as exclusive for his life and for ours. And so we have just been unpacking those adjectives over the course of the last three weeks. The authority of God's word, inspired, God-breathed, written by men for our benefit and our good. Sufficiency of God's word, it is enough. It is enough for life and for relationship with God, for salvation. God has said all that he wants to say, and it is all that we need to hear. And last week, clarity of God's word, that it is understandable It can be known to anyone genuinely wanting to know, which brings us to today, halftime. Halftime in the series. We are just past the midway point in the series. We have four weeks to go. And this service is going to be a bit like stepping out of the game for a moment, gathering together in the locker room and listening to someone around the circle, in the huddle, on the same team, sharing about what their experience has been in the game. If the sports metaphor doesn't work great for you, then think about it this way. Think about it just being like a small group setting. We're sitting around the circle together and someone is sharing personally about what it's been like to be in this book. And here's why we want you to think about it that way this morning. With all that we've done in the series to answer the deeper why questions, the deeper theological footing for why we see this book the way we do, we thought it might be helpful at halftime to to step back from all that for one week in the series and get very, very practical. Just to dive in at a very practical 
level. We thought it might be helpful for one of us to stand up here and just share with you how we read, how we go about it. Not just all the why, but how, how we actually go about it personally, practically, and not how we prepare to teach, but how we go about it in our own devotional lives personally. So we are doing this today with the hope that hearing how one of us reads it, you know, sometimes you can look up here and go, well, they're just different. They do this for a living. They do it all the time. You're going to hear this and go, they're not that different than me. Just hopefully that that will be true for you as you hear it. And hopefully there might be something that would be helpful to you in your own reading of God's word. We're doing it for that reason, but we're also doing it for this reason. Full disclosure here. We're doing it because we want you to read it too. That's why we're doing it. Our highest aim in this series is to, as Michael says, get your nose in this book. Delight in it. Desire it to experience God himself in his words. We don't long for a book that is filled with words. We long for a love relationship with the God who spoke the words. And our access to that God is through the very words, the living written words that he has spoken to us. And we want that deeply for you. Now, one other thing that I want to say, one additional comment before I get into this, I just want this to be very clear on the front end. What what I'm going to do today with you is descriptive, not prescriptive. Okay. That's true most of the time. I just want you to hear it out of my mouth this morning. I'm going to share with you how I go about reading it. There are lots of good ways to go about reading this book. I'm going to share how I'm doing it right now. That changes from season to season, and I'm not claiming to be the authority on how to read God's Word. I'm just going to share with you how I'm doing it. Frankly, I don't believe that how you read God's Word is near as important as the fact that you read God's Word, okay? There's many of you in this room that are diligent about it. You really enjoy reading God's word. You're faithful to it. It's, it's become just a part of your life. You enjoy that intimacy and relationship with God. And literally, you could stand up here and do the same thing that I'm going to do today. And what you might share would benefit all of us to hear how you go about doing it. And so I pray, I hope that as I share this morning, it will be just a bit of affirmation for you, encouragement to keep doing what you're doing. There are also many of us in this room, and I'll include myself here, that struggle with it, struggle with the regularity of it, or that struggle with finding time in the day to do it, or that feel shame because of how long it's been since the last time I opened the words of this book. There's those of us in the room who get overwhelmed, set our expectations too high and we can't meet them, who feel like we got to read every sentence at the infinite amount of detail and all detail and understand every detail with commentaries and other things. There are people that go to that end that feel like when I'm done with this, well, then I need to go write my blog. It's like, no, no, you don't have to. There's like, there's all kinds of hurdles for all different ones of us. I could go on and on. And I want you to hear me on this. There is no shame in this place today, okay? I'm just going to take it out of the building. We're going to talk about where we are, talk about what it looks like to do it, how we can do it, it's doable, and I hope that you're encouraged as, as we talk that through. Not ashamed of what you haven't done, but just simply encouraged to just keep moving forward in it. 
to take the next step, whatever that step may be for you, okay? Here's how I read. No matter what time of day it is, I've found in my own life, and this will be different for everybody, but I've found in my own life that my mind is already spinning. So certainly it's true at lunch, certainly it's true in the evening, but even if I get up at five in the morning, which I do some, and, and uh, go from my bed to the chair where I read, might take me 12 seconds to walk from the bed to the chair. My mind is already spinning with thoughts about the day. I just know that to be true about me. And it's hard for me to move from my head to my heart. And of course, the spiritual life is both what we can know and learn and understand in our heads and our affections, the affections of our hearts. So I've just found for me that I, I need to do a couple of things that, that help me to uh, focus my thinking and prepare my own heart. Okay, so I just, I do two things. The first thing I do is, is as I write just briefly in my journal, and this is the question I answer, I just write what I'm feeling today. What I'm feeling as I come in this room, what I'm bringing into my relationship with God. That might be an easier way to answer the question. What am I bringing into this room right now? I have the same thought when I come home from work and I'm about to walk in the door to our kitchen with my family. What, what am I bringing in to my family from this day? And can I just release that for a moment as I enter and engage with my wife and kids? Same kind of thought. What am I bringing into the room today? What's true about me right now? And I just write that. I write what's true about me and I write a little bit about why and then I just offer it to the Lord. So here's an example this may help you understand what I'm trying to say. Here's one from just this last week. Uh, let's see when this was. About 10 days ago, actually. Today I was feeling discouraged and anxious. Or today I am feeling discouraged and anxious. It is connected to all I have to do and it always feels overwhelming to me. I haven't quite found the rhythm of doing the things that I need to do. My life, work, as a man, as a husband, etc., and fully being present with God in them while I do them. It feels like I have to be on to get things done, and I have to be off, like sitting in my chair with my Bible open, to be in relationship with God, and I'd like to find the rhythm of those two things together non-anxious, trusting presence, dependence upon the Lord in all that I have to do today. And I just wrote this at the end, whatever comes, whatever doesn't get done, that I would be aware of how I'm doing and aware of my ever deepening need for Jesus Christ. And when I do that, it just, it just centers me a bit. I just kind of own, it's almost like confession. I just own what's true about me in that particular moment. And it doesn't have to be true about you the whole day or the whole week. It's just what's true about you right then. That might change in an hour. That's fine for me. If I were to sit down later, it might sound like something very different. So I name what's true about me first, and then I just remind myself what's true about God. I've said this before, last time I taught on prayer, and here I pray often this prayer, where every sentence begins with, God, you are. And I just, I just pray that prayer, God, you are good yet again today. God, you are faithful, you are true. God, you are wise, you our peace, you are hope for me beyond this life. God, you are love. Might I know that love relationship with you in a deep way today? I just continue to pray that prayer. God, you are. And when I get done with those two things, which most often takes me less than 10 minutes, I, I just am a bit more centered. My mind's a bit more focused and I'm ready to read. 
So that's where I start. And then how I read, I'm reading right now in the books of Matthew and Psalms and Genesis. I'm trying to read through the Bible right now. And I know that you need to read more than four or four chapters a day about to, to read through the Bible in a year. And so I'm just trying to read more than four chapters a day. And sometimes I spend time in all three of those books. Um, sometimes I spend time in just one of those books. I'm further along in Psalms, for example, than I am Genesis. I, I just, I just kind of go and start somewhere and I read for a while and make a change if I feel like making a change that day, or I just stay with it if I feel like staying with it and continue to read. And the only thing that's in my head, I'm not taking a whole lot of notes as I read right now. I'm kind of notorious for taking lots and lots of detailed notes. I'm trying to just sit with it and enjoy it more. So the only thing that's in my head right now is, is just these two simple questions. What is the author saying about God? And what is the author saying about me? That's the only thing in my head right now is I read chapters of narrative or as I read chapters of the Psalms. What's the author saying about God and what does he say about me? I'm just trying to be present with the words, listen to the Spirit's, Spirit's voice as he brings thoughts to my mind and to my heart about my own life. Okay, now let me give you some examples of this. I'm going to go all three places and just give you a, an example of each one. So take your Bible out with me, if you would, and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. I had um, an incredible gift given to me about three weeks ago. There's a couple in Nashville and some friends out in Arizona that took my wife and I to Hawaii, if you can believe this. Yeah. And so I'm going to talk about that for the rest of the time just to make you jealous. That's what I'm going to do now. It was not 28 degrees in Hawaii. It was not like it is here. But we had a great experience and it was especially meaningful in this season of my own life. It was very refreshing for my soul. And in and, um, the first morning that I woke up there, we were staying in a place up on a ridge it was a small little condo and it had this little porch on it. And from the porch, you could see just gobs of water. You see across the water, you could see islands. Um, you could certainly see the skies out above the water. It was just a beautiful vista. And because of the time difference, I, I was waking up um, the whole time that I was there at four in the morning. And so I, I just got on up this first morning at four and I went and sat out there, made some coffee, went and sat out there and and I just enjoyed the, the moments there as the suns began to rise. It came up from behind me, kind of back behind the condo, so I couldn't see the sun on the horizon, but I could see the, the light that began to cascade across the skies and then ultimately across the islands that I could see in the distance. And then, of course, ultimately, finally, I guess, uh, on the water. It was just a beautiful morning. And I had been in Psalms, even on the plane the day before. I had been in Matthew few days before, and I was just ready to turn over to Genesis. I had no intent of being in Genesis chapter one, sitting on that porch, but, but here I was as, as God knew that I would be, and I began reading this in that environment. Chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Of course, I'm just now seeing the first light of the day. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning one day. 
Verse 6, then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and he separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, hard to even imagine, and it was so. God called this expanse that he had created heaven. There was evening and there was morning the second day. And of course, this light is just now hitting the skies or the heavens. Then God said, verse 9, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. I don't know if you know much about the Hawaiian Islands, but the Hawaiian Islands are all volcanoes and they're continually expanding those volcanoes that are active. And so literally the the volcanoes are growing on the surface of the water over time in the sense that it just looks like what this may have looked like, these islands that come up out of the water when God created them originally. And so I'm sitting there and I look out across the waters at the heavens and the light is hitting the islands. And I just imagine, wow, when God created land for the very first time, that must have been really loud. Just can you imagine waters everywhere, skies, not a whole lot of noise except for the occasional lapping of the waves. Nope, not even that noise because there was no shore. So it's just water in expanse. And then all of a sudden, there's land, Grand Canyon, islands. Can you imagine this? Can you picture this? What that moment must have been like? Unbelievable. And of course, God goes on and he talks about vegetation and plants and animals, the fish of the sea. By the way, when the light first hit the sea, this was, it was dark the night before when I'd gotten there the whale started jumping. I mean, can you imagine this? This is like eerie how cool this is. I'm just sitting there reflecting on it. I'm watching this. Waters that teem with fish. That's the way Moses describes it here. It's unbelievable. And then finally, at the end of the chapter, he talks about his most prized creation. Who's, who's his most prized creation? Who is it? It's you and me. It's us. It's exactly right. It gives us dominion over this land that he just created. And so I just step back from that chapter and I ask my two questions. What's the author saying about God? And of course, there is so much to be said about God here. But at its most simple, he's saying that God's the creator of all things. That's what he's saying about God. He describes it in beautiful detail. God is creator. What's he saying about you and me? Well, he's saying that this beautiful, incredible earth that God created He made for his most prized creation. That's what he says. To have dominion over it, to enjoy it, to subdue it, to be fruitful and multiply in it. That's who the earth is created for. He created this as our home. And so I just went through the day with that in the back of my head. This is God's creation for me and for you. And that sat with me all day long. Turn over to Psalm chapter 86. I'll I'll give another example of what I've been reading, what God's been teaching me. You know, I mentioned um, four weeks ago, I shared in here that I've been struggling with depression and anxiety over the last 
four months and I, I gave some detail about how that's true and what it's looked like in my own life. And some of the reasons for it and incredible support that God's given me around it and even some of what I've been learning in it, finding delight in God's word at the same time that I've been sad. And I do want to say this just to you. Thanks to so many of you who've sent me an email or a note just to say that you're praying for me or that you struggle with it too. I, I've really appreciated that level of support. And for every one of you that sent that, I've, I've prayed in that moment for you as well. I'm grateful for the way the body works and engages like that. And I do want you to know this, that I am doing a little bit better. It's just incremental change. It's, it's heading in the right direction, the right trajectory. I am a, a little less anxious in moments. I have a little more energy in moments, but I'm still in it. I am. I'm still there trusting God for where I am. That's the truth. I get sad and discouraged at times, anxious at times, just trying to take one day at a time as it comes. And so in light of that, I, I've continued to spend time in, in my new favorite chapters of Psalms, the sad Psalms that I mentioned to you four weeks ago. And uh, one of my favorites has become Psalm chapter 86. And so turn over to Psalm chapter 86. Maybe you're there. Look at verse one in Psalm chapter 86. The psalmist David, in this case, he's writing a psalm of supplication and trust. This is his prayer, and he begins this way. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. O you, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. Make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I can really identify with those verses in this season, but in verse five, it begins to turn from the psalmist himself, David, to the Lord. Look at verse five. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and give heed to the voice of my supplications. The day of my trouble, I shall call upon you for you, will answer me. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. So I'll stop there for right now. And I just... Stopped there in my own personal life just a couple of weeks ago, and I made this observation. I am not like God. That's profound, isn't it? I'm not like God. I am not anything like God. At least not at his essence. He's making me more like him, but I'm not like him. And I just sat with that for a few moments and I just resonated deeply with the first four verses where the psalmist is talking about his need for God and God, I need you and I trust you and I cry out for you and I am a godly man, God, but I'm trying to do it right. You can just hear what swims in my own head. And then he kind of steadies himself a bit. And where does he go? To what's true about God all the time. He's good, he's loving, kind, he's steadfast, he's faithful, he's all things true. He just reiterates it, reminds himself of it. God never changes. He's always the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever to 
come and there is not one thing about my life that could ever change that fact. Not one circumstance, not one feeling, not one sin, not any level of doubt that can change who God is. And so I just sat with that on that particular day. Now turn over to Matthew 5, last one. Turn over there that I want to show you about how I read. Matthew chapter 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' words begin in verse 3, but start with verse 1 just so you have a little context. Matthew 5 verse 1. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We'll stop there as well. And I just thought about Jesus' words to his disciples and to us there And obviously, you probably know this, we could spend a year literally unpacking messages that come from the Beatitudes, but I'm just thinking about it holistically. I'm reading through these texts. What is God saying about God? What's he saying about me? And this is the thought I carried with me for the rest of that particular day. It was this. In a season when my world has been turned upside down emotionally, God reminded me that his is an upside-down kingdom. Look at who he honors here. Can you believe this? This is who God honors, the poor in spirit. Do you know who that is? Those who have been humbled. That's who that is. Is there anything about our world today, our culture today, that honors those who have been humbled? Those who have been laid low? And blessed are those who mourn. We celebrate mourning? What? no. We don't, the upside down kingdom does, for they shall be comforted, the gentle, those who after righteousness, the merciful, it goes on and on. And in this season that I'm in, those words about God's kingdom and what it's really about were a great, great encouragement to me. Now, when I'm done reading, I pray again. And it's typically along the lines of something that I just read, something that the Spirit of God used to convict me that I need to repent of or something that God reminded me of who he is, just something along the lines of what I had just read, something along the lines of what I was taking with me throughout the rest of the day. So I pray. That's how I read. And I struggle with it at times, but I I, I keep at it, trusting that the Spirit of God will help me to understand it. Trusting that God the Father will continue to reveal himself to me in it. And trusting that Jesus Christ has prepared the way for me to do it. You know, last week Lloyd said something that really stuck with me. He said about this book that what matters most is most clear. Do you remember that? What matters most is most 
clear. And what matters most in this book is salvation. It is right relationship with God. And we saw that in two parts last week. Right relationship with God in terms of placing our trust in Christ. That's what we most often think about in terms of salvation. But also right relationship with God in a sense or salvation in the sense that it is a growing relationship with God until the day that we die. So two parts, the moment that we trust Christ, but beyond that, the continuation of our growth in Christ is all encompassed in that word salvation. And when I began this morning, we saw a video story that demonstrated in a very tangible way the power of God to save. And as we conclude our time this morning, I'm going to invite Brandon Addison to come up here and join me so that we might hear just a bit more about that, what it was like in his life then, and then how that growth has continued by the message of this book in his life even to today. You might recognize Brandon's face. Brandon is on staff here. He oversees our inversion ministry. That is our ministry to young professionals. He also is helping us launch our campus, which is yet to be named north of here that we are beginning to launch and likely we'll have services up there later this fall. He's meeting with a core team right now. And and Brandon, honestly, I just wanted you to do this, to to go back to the moment for a second and, and tell this group here what it was like for you to move from just reading a book to, to, to believing that this is true. Like it's hard to imagine You know, it is for us. So just talk about what what shifted in you in that moment or in those moments. Well, yeah, for me, it wasn't this instantaneous moment. I equate it to water skiing. Sometimes when you ski on two, you just pop right out of the water. But when you slalom or ski with one, you're fighting and you're cutting in between the water before you can pop up. And so when I began reading scripture, I was pulled in that direction. I was pulled towards uh, what Jesus was, Jesus was saying, what, what C.S. Lewis says, the hound of heaven is on my trail. And uh, the same thing was for me as I was captivated by this, but it wasn't an instantaneous moment. I was fighting and going, is this true? Is this authoritative? Do I need it? And for me personally, as I got to the end of the book, I go, it's not only true and authoritative, but it's what I've been looking for. This is absolutely what I need. And so really reading the end of Matthew is when personally I came to faith and I saw a distinct difference in my life. Mm-hmm. Brandon said, sh- shared something similar last night. And I just, I just made this note in my own mind that when it shifted from reading about God to understanding or awareness that I have a need for God is when the shift happened in his life. It's hard, it's hard to name that for each of us, but when, when we were sitting with somebody who was sharing their faith with us or we heard it from a speaker on a stage, it was that moment, right, that we understood it and we were aware of our need. That, that is a crucial moment in our salvation. But go from there to hear the early days of what um, growth looked like. Just what, what were those early days like? You've gone from reading this book to, to relationship with the person behind the book. And what were those early days of growth like? Yeah, it was, it was beautiful. I didn't have a category. I didn't have methods or perp- any sort of you know, books on my bookshelf. I just began reading, and the first thing I noticed... There's this deepening relationship with God. So when I first began reading the New Testament and and Matthew, I began to connect with, 
I've been adopted by God in the early, you know, and I've been uh, from sinners into saints. So all that personal relationship started to take. And then what I began to notice later on, I remember that first year too, is beginning to read the New Testament. I go, wait, I'm bound to something bigger than myself. Ooh. I'm part of a church community. So I remember that time in high school when I read the New Testament and I go, wait, all these yous are actually y'alls. It's, it's, a, it's a Southern interpretation. So what that means is I'm actually bound to something bigger than myself, that, that this is a church and it's a community and we're connected together for a, a deeper purpose. And I saw complete beauty in that. Mm. So just, it was neat to see how God was at work. How about today? Yeah. What, what is uh, it, some 15 yeah. years later? Now yeah, and, and, yeah, yeah, it's good. In, yeah. And then I was thinking too, ironically, and we haven't talked about this, but I do something very similar with uh, just devotional reading. I kind of put a line on the page. What does it say about God? Mm. What does it say about me? And then I go, if this truth was explosively real in my life right now, what would be different about me? Mm, good question. And then begin to pray those, pray those things, application. Yeah. Um, but, for, but for me lately, I've been reading Leviticus, um, primarily devotionally, yes, and also we're teaching that on Thursday nights. So if Matthew's easy reading, Leviticus is like reading tax code. But <laughs> part of the idea is this, is... Um, it's been unbelievable because what I'm beginning to see in Leviticus is God's heart. He dwells with his people in the midst of the camp and the tabernacle. And I'm seeing his call for holiness. And my desire for holiness isn't just rules and regulation, but it's out of the outflow of who I am in the heart. Mm. And um, then the power of God's presence being with his people and they respond with generosity. And honestly, it's brought me to tears. I never mm. thought in the desert of Leviticus, <laughs> I would see more of who God is. And right. it's true. And it's not anything I'm doing. It's just him being faithful to his word mm. through his spirit. Well, thanks. Yeah. Th thanks for telling your story too. Yeah. Uh, Brandon did a really nice job telling his story. You know, it's hard to drive and tell your story. Did, <laughs> yeah. did, did you see him yes. at one point take his hands off the wheel to show the Bible? And we're all like, he's true. about to no, wreck. That, yeah, that didn't happen. Look for that next time you watch it. It's dangerous, <laughs> very dangerous. I want you to stand with us, if you will. And I, I want to send you out in this way. I have a challenge for you this morning as you go. Halftime is now over. Okay, it's over. We have three weeks left now in this series. And my challenge for you is simply to read this book every day until we finish the series. That's my challenge. Three weeks worth, 21 days worth, however you want to think about it. I want to invite you to read it. And as you do, ask the Spirit of God to help you understand it. Read with an ear for what the author's saying about God and what the author's saying about you. And then when you get to the end of the series, and I step back up here to conclude the series, let's look back and reflect on what God has done through the reading of his word, okay? I invite you to do that over the next three weeks. Would you join me as I pray and send us out? God, thank you so much for the great treasure that we have in our own hands. Treasure that we take for granted, treasure that we don't fully understand, a treasure that we can't even fully understand perfectly, but a treasure that you have made knowable and understandable to us. It's your words, and in your words we find you, and we long for that relationship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go in peace.